Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how meditation and mindfulness practices change our lives. Our podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio, Apple's pick as one of the 10 best apps of the year. Why download the app? Because life is messy. We get stressed, anxious, have trouble sleeping, we work too hard, we deal with conflict, our hearts get broken, we worry about the state of the world, we meditate because we're human. Our app gives you hundreds of meditations from over 30 leading experts. It helps a lot. And if you haven't tried the app yet, you can now download it for free and explore a starter series with Elisha Goldstein plus a sample of some of our favorite guided meditations in the Discover collection. And if you've already got the app, check out our new unguided meditation timer where you can create your own meditations with or without our brand new pretty amazing music tracks. And don't forget the eight free meditations on Alexa. Just ask her to enable Meditation Studio. In today's Encore episode, I speak with visionary choreographer Alonzo King of the Lines Ballet Company based in San Francisco. After seeing Alonzo speak and his dancers dance, I wanted to understand what fueled his creativity and how he was so awesome at inspiring his dancers to move so magically almost as if in a meditative trance. In this interview, he shares how important finding stillness is to his own creativity and intuition. Being still, he tells us, helps us cultivate the all-important relationship we have with ourselves and is one of the keys to getting in touch with our own natural state of joy. In his dance company, he trains hearts and minds in addition to bodies, which is where I think the magic comes from. He's renowned for connecting audiences to a profound sense of shared humanity. And meditation, he says, is one of his biggest influences. That is saying a lot. Now, here's Alonzo. Welcome to Untangle. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Happy to be here. Yeah. And so you have said that you were encouraged to do art from a very early age. I would love to hear what inspired you to become a choreographer. And did you always know you wanted to do this with your life? Well, I did not always know. When I was a child, I was always moving. And moving seemed like freedom because when I was moving, the external world seemed to dim away. And there was another world that was more vivid and personal and larger. My mother was an amateur. She wasn't a professional dancer, but she took dance classes at university and she was a beautiful mover. And so she would show me things. I would dance with her and that was thrilling because there was an intimacy with my mom and I just loved doing it. And I was fascinated by tons of things, but there was a period in high school where I had a lot of scholarships to universities across the country, and I had to make a decision about what I was going to commit my life to. And when I truly examined myself, it was dancing, because I thought that that would be a full marriage for me. Then I found out later that all the other things that I was interested in were also involved in dancing. 
And just to mention one other thing, when I was a kid Mm -hmm. and I would watch adults, it seemed that their bodies told the way that their bodies moved or were held was much more informative and truer than what was coming out of their mouths. And so watching a body move or particularly, and I don't have this anymore, that, that kind of keen ability and awareness, but particularly looking at people's backs seemed very vulnerable. And there was a lot of information that just came from the way that they moved or how they held tension or were relaxed. And so that became a a way of communication to look at bodies and to see how they moved and how they carried themselves. What was really latent or what was really dominant in humans that they weren't verbally expressing. You must have been such a sensitive child to notice that in people, that you could read something about who they were from their bodies. I think that all children are incredibly sensitive. And the irony of growing up in the world is that you have to maintain a degree of sensitivity, but you also have to be strong. And the challenge is to be sensitive and not become hard Mm. because we harden with age. So if you're too sensitive, it can also be perilous. So there has to be this balancing act in whatever we do in life. That's one of the things I love about dancing because one of the key elements is balance and it applies to living life. So if you're too sensitive, it's an imbalance. But there in children, there is an intuitive awareness that is more pronounced because particularly before they become the age where they're self-conscious because children are fresh. So their internal world is huge. And all the things that we hear about, they're able to perceive veils that the ordinary conscious mind is no longer able to perceive. Mm. So where do we lose that along the way? Often in Our educational systems, children are stripped because one of the bottom line basics of art is it's the knowledge of how things are done. And children have a knowledge in them, a knowing, I should say, about perception. And so if I often tell this story, if children go to see horses and they come back having played with horses, observed horses, cleaned up the barns, they haven't ridden horses. When they come back to class, the teacher will say, okay, I want everyone to draw a horse. Johnny might draw a circle with fire coming out of it. Susie might draw a lightning bolt. They have caught the essence of horse. The teacher will say to Johnny and Susie, where's the mane? Where's the head? I don't see four hooves. I don't see the legs. And so Johnny and Susie have captured the essence of horse in the way that most indigenous cultures do. They reduce abstraction to symbol. And the teacher is telling them, I want a literal appearance of the horse when they've reduced it to its essence. And so Mm -hmm. the child's intuition is stabbed and they give the answer that the teacher wants. That's one of the first steps in its destruction, because what they know they're being told is invalid. Wow. You see this in young children, and you see it when they're drawing pictures that they draw with so much more feeling. And so I love what you're saying about 
they can reduce things to their pure essence. And you do lose that along the way. I also, I I love what you were saying about that. We have a challenge to balance being too sensitive and not becoming too hard. I'm just curious how we do that. What is your thought on how we sort of get that balance in our bodies well, and our lives? Your show and your organization is all about it. It's meditation. Right, right. I mean, the ancient rishis figured it out. They said, how do we get out of here? How do we get back to joy? How do we return to bliss? That is, and they realize the connection to breath. Oh, we're tied to this exhalation and this inhalation. And they figured out pranayama and techniques, how to trace from the bottom of that spine back to the top to return home. Because we enter from the top and rush all the way down out and into these external experiences, and those ancient rishis studied how do we get back to our natural state of existence, and our natural state of existence is joy, peace, love, bliss, that when you, when every parent, when you see a baby who is not brilliantly turned on to see that luminous being glowing and full of joy, Not a joy because I got a new bicycle or I got this, not from some acquisition, but just from the inherent state. As we live in this world, and I should say this brutal world, Mm. we're taken out of that inner space. And the challenge, like any game, (laughs) is to find the way back home. People are tired of looking for, uh, they found that materialism Uh. does not bring you happiness, that the acquisition of things does not bring you joy. They pale because it's impossible for matter to satisfy spirit. How can matter satisfy spirit? And spirit is what human beings are. That's what we are. That's our true origin. And so after countless attempts at trying to chase the carrot in front of our face with acquisition, with objects, with things, you realize the West has a very severe poverty, and it's a poverty of the spirit. And that can only be addressed by reversing, not chasing something externally, but chasing something internally. And what the wise ones actually say is that it's not about really chasing. It's about relaxing and being still enough to become aware in stillness of what you really are. Yes, 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 yes. And that was one of the things when I heard you speak at the Aspen Ideas Festival, you said that you believe that time alone, being still, really cultivating our relationship with ourselves is really key to finding strength and peace. And I'm curious how you spend time in stillness. And also I'm curious how you work with your dancers so that they can embody this spirit that you are talking about. You know, one of the gateways to that journey is art making, because what you'll notice with artists, they are interiorized. There's a wonderful book called, it's an old one, and I think 
it's out of print. It's called Conversations with the Great Masters, and it's about Western composers. They talk about receiving information, going into quiet mental states where there is a stillness and receiving huge swaths of incredibly sublime music. And when they return to the ordinary thinking state, they try to write down as much as they can remember, and what they can't remember, they connect with intelligence, trends at the time, and musical device. Mm. Now, that's often, and if you ask a composer, do you have a favorite work? Every single one says yes, and they talk about this was a gift. So this tells us that we have subconscious, the conscious, ordinary waking state, and the superconscious, which is the realm of discovery and invention and creativity, and that is inherent in every living being, and that's why everyone is some kind of an artist. This idea of this elite, separate, elite individual toying in their pristine studio is nonsense. It's the rigor of hammering away at your search for truth and beauty. And it's, it's real art making. Is this because I look at your dance company and I look at your dancers and I just, there's just awe at the way that they move their bodies and just how spiritual and just magnificent they are. And I can't imagine that we all have that in us. <laughs> I would like to believe that, but I have two left. Patricia, I think we do. You do? How do you access that? And how does one access that if you're not... Like if you don't have what looks like a superpower, which it looks like you and your dancers all have a kind of superpower that I know, you know, you've planted the seeds and watered them and nurtured them, but it does seem like there's something more there. I think one of the things about more there is how you see yourself. One of the biggest things, the biggest impediment in thinking is how do you, what do you identify with as you? If you think of yourself as a certain way, that's what you become. It's inevitable. The mind is incredibly powerful. If you see yourself a certain way, then that's what you are. If you identify as the body, your circumference is very small, very teeny particularly when you, when you think of the, the cosmos. And it's true that the body does occupy a very small space in space. But internally, you are without circumference. So if you're living in those internal worlds, you feel enormous. You feel unlimited. Mm. Dancers talk about the mental state that they're in, and then when they see the video, are very different. <laughs> because, oh my God, I felt like I was in. Because, but that is the difference. Now, to answer your question more specifically, when you watch the lives of great human beings, how are they moving? 
I mean, look at Gandhi. How did he move in space and time and what he did in India? Look at Harriet Tubman. How did she move? Look at Abraham Lincoln. How did he move? Because movement is also behavior. So you see an elegance. You see balance. Mm. You see strength against tons of people saying you're wrong. And yet you go on with grace in the direction that you've decided to go. This is about movement. Mm. And so the lives of people who have mastery shows that. Is there a way to cultivate this or is that it's, what you're saying you, that tapping it's into? how you think it's how, it's you, how think. you think the mind is your friend and your enemy and so it's how you think and how did you when you said that you decided in and around your college years that you wanted to commit your life to movement to this art how did you even at that age know that you were going to commit to something in your life? Like, where did that come from in you? You know, Patricia, there's something about, I mean, first of all, I had a lot of support, to be frank, from my parents. They said, you do what you want to do. That has to be your decision. And they were very encouraging. But I also had a relationship with an inner voice that I listened to and that I trusted. And that inner voice was with me before I had any kind of idea about me as a name in a body with a personality belonging to a certain family, blah, blah, blah. There was just, I was aware at an early age of an awareness. And when that awareness was present, or I felt it strongly, I listened to it, and I trusted it. That is our intuition, that is our inner voice, and that comes in stillness, mm -hmm. and that relationship was one that I trusted. Did you grow up with any particular religious beliefs? Because... It does seem unique. Like, I feel like that's sort of a gift for a young person to really be connected to an inner voice and an intuition and not be influenced by all of these external forces. You seem to have had a really strong connection with that inner voice. I think that the external environments for me were looked at with a bit of skepticism, mm. you know, even from an early age is what is this? Or, you know, my father introduced me to yoga. And when I became in those early teen years, a little bit fraught with what is going on with my body, what's happening, it scared me. I knew prior to 12, I remember 10 thinking, oh, I'm nervous about being 12. Right. <laughs> that there would be this, <laughs> this onslaught. And my father really helped me. He had a meditation room and he would say, I want you all to come in. When he would meditate, he'd say, you, I want you to sit for five minutes. 
And then when, after five minutes, I would like you to leave very quietly. And so we'd go, he'd begin to meditate. We'd go into his room, his meditation room. And then we would look at each other and kind of snicker and, you know, make faces and imitate his posture. And then after five minutes, we would quietly, you know, slip out and look back on him looking fixed and still. And that planted a seed. Mm. And so when there was um, this external turbulence that was approaching in my youth, I rushed not only to his books for information, but to stillness. And that became a practice. And do you think that that stillness, that sort of practice of stillness or meditation, was it big influence on your creativity? Are you kidding? Yeah. On everything. Yeah. Because that, that's the source. Right. You know, I don't know if you, if a lot of people know that Frank Baum, the author of A Wizard of Oz, he was a yogi. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. He practiced yoga. And the following the yellow brick road, the the tornado, the whirling of the, the kundalini, the, the necessity of having strength and a mind and a heart in your journey, the fact that no matter where you go outside in terms of your search, it's actually about home. Oh, you know, that, yeah. that your search is internal, yeah. all full of symbology. Wow. So, so, so what happens to us? Like you have said that, you know, we live in a culture that rewards us for being a clone or a knockoff, or, you know, we sort of have to feel like we have to be on trend and it, it's a little bit distracting for people sometimes to tune in to themselves and to find their own voice. What do you think, you know, we need to do to find that way home? I think you have to care about yourself and you have to step back and look again at lives. Look at the lives of people who are happy, who really have joy in their life and examine why is that? What is going on? Look at the people whose lives are full of sorrow. Why is that? And the world's promises, even though they may bring pleasure and enjoyment, ultimately they don't satisfy. And so again, it's back to identification. We have to stop and ask the important question, who am I? What is my origin? And what will happen to me after I leave this body? Am I the body? Am I my race? Am I sex, age, religion? All of those are too diminutive. They're false. Mm. They're too small. What we are is enormous. So the work is first, you have to get to a place where you're asking the important questions. What is the meaning of life? And those queries, Patricia, will not be answered because they cannot be answered by the intellect. And so you have to sit in stillness. You have to return to what is, again, it's what the wise ones say. If you are able at this moment to calm the restless mind, to cease all tension, to let go of your 
identity with your own personal story, you will realize what you really are. It's so and that's perfect. the work. And that's the work. The words and the way that you're expressing this is so real and so beautiful. And at the same time, I think it's so complex. Oh, it's, it, it's no mean feat. It's simple in that, you know, we all can tune in if we work at that, but to really center on the meaning of life and to disassociate with our own personal stories and to know that we're this bigger, more powerful self is it's complicated for people to get to that place. And I just wonder what you think about this, but I think sometimes people feel like when they see people who have achieved that and they haven't, they wonder what's wrong with them or are they not a spiritual being or why can't they hear their inner voice or hear what the meaning of life is. I and mean, what do you say? Cause I know you, you know, you said to me in the beginning of this call before we started recording, you know, everyone's a divine being, but what do you say to those that just are having a harder time getting to that place? There's two ways you're going to get trained. You either get beat up, constantly yeah by the world hmm. or you walk directly towards wisdom Sri Kekswar calls wisdom the great cleanser and so we have two ways of trying to remember what we are we walk directly to it because there are techniques right. there are techniques in yoga that help us to disassociate our identification with the physical form and most people, when they've had untold suffering, they cry out, help. And they begin to look for another way. Because after countless suffering, you, have, you wake up and say, wait a minute, this isn't working. And so you, you begin to look for where do I put my feet? What direction do I go in now? And again, to address your question directly, it's identification. All of us are children of light. Every being, you know, this whole universe, animals, plants, rocks. I was recently somewhere in the desert, it was nighttime, and the awe of the night sky is something we're not afforded in this city. You know, and the majority of us, you know, we live in these crowded cities mm -hmm. where we don't have opportunity to be awestruck when you look up and see those stars and planets. So nature is a big teacher, but how can you wake up? Mm -hmm. And that is really our, that's really our own personal enigma that each of us has to solve for ourselves. Yeah. And that is why yoga is such a gift particularly at a time like this where we're so rushed and incredibly busy and outside of ourselves that yoga is the combination that we need to say you can be busy and still maintain peace mm. you can be occupied with tons of responsibility and still have an interior castle of wisdom and peace inside of you that's portable, that's not external, so that you can deal with the trials that come in living life on planet Earth. 
it's the quest on how to get back home. I just want to say one thing before we close. There's a, a misconception that is the standard story that is mainstream, this idea that we have come from an inferior past and we are now at the pinnacle of civilization with our achievements is absolute nonsense. If you just look anywhere you want, look to Egypt, look to ancient China, look to India, there are marvels that we still do not understand. Mm -hmm. How did they build the pyramid? Which is telling us that these people were monuments. They were giants mentally and spiritually. We haven't gotten there yet. And so history goes in cycles. I can only say that our nature is joy, peace, love. We have to return to that nature. And that returning to that nature is possible. And one of the key ways is the practice of yoga. Mm. And do you encourage this? So you have 12 people in your dance company. Yes. Yes. And like, how do you teach some of these principles or do you look for people who you see already contain some of, of these essence of both. Both. Okay. Both. Yeah. When, and that's one of the things that is apparent about art making. If you are, and you see it in dancers quite a bit, they go in, they're not outside. When you see serious dancers, they are inside. These bodies are whirling with motion. Science tells us now that matter is condensed movement. And so everything is different. It looks different. Why? Because of its rate of vibration. There is an awareness from the practice of dance when you're internally managing that physical form where you become aware of a largeness. But my main point is that you are inside in two aspects. You're inside manipulating that body because the body doesn't move by itself. And what I mean by that is what is dancing the body is the brain and the heart, Mm. mind and the heart. And so when you see someone sitting at a piano playing one of the Western masters and their interpretation, it's the mind and the heart that you're engaged in. And so you see artists going to those three places repeatedly, that they're going to a deep internal place to play the instrument. And one of the wonderful things about dancing is with and after you're advanced, you are able to separate the idea of your body from yourself. So you're manipulating this thing. And what are we doing in training? We're training the heart and the mind. You know, you find well-shaped bodies on even any given beach. You can train people to jump, turn, and get their legs up without much intelligence. Well, with about average intelligence. But but for the depth of great art making, it's heart and mind stuff. It's not the body. It, and you can tap into that probably when you're auditioning dancers. You can probably, you, Alonzo, can probably see that now. Yes. And also they have to be nice. (laughs) (laughs) They have to be nice because you travel and you want to travel with nice people. 
right. Yeah. Oh. So what would be your best advice for people to continue on a path of, of self-discovery? And do you do yoga still and, and are you meditating like on a daily basis or is this just sort of all integrated with your, your work, your teachings? I have a daily practice mm-hmm. of yoga and I would recommend everyone reading Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. It's life-altering. I would recommend stillness. Stillness, yeah. You have to always come back home. That is so beautiful. And it sounds like you're just such an inspired and inspiring person. I think, you know, my personal perspective is that everybody is creative. Mm. And that everybody who is serious about their life is an artist. Everyone. And that people shouldn't forget that and they should pursue that. The way we started this conversation, everyone is important. Right. Do you think that when you say everyone's an artist, so for people that are listening that work in a business and, you know, of course you can be creative in anything, but do you think that people need to or should practice some kind of art or music or dance something to bring out some of this inspiration in them? Or do you think you can sort of find it anywhere? I think that the greatest art is the art of how to live life. Mm. And so that's what we're really working on. How do I behave at work? When do, when do I shut my heart down? How can I keep it open? How can I become kinder? How can I not look for praise? How can I help my fellow beings? That's all of a part of work. Mm-hmm. Our environment and our relationships, those are our greatest tests, and those are the places where we grow. Right, right. That's the art. I mean, that is the art. I yeah. mean, let me quote Emerson. Emerson says that the aim of art is higher than art itself. And so what is he talking about? He's talking about the practice of removing debris from the existing masterpiece, which all humans are, is the work. Mm. The aim is masterpieces of humanity. And that's what we already are. But we have to remove the covering so that we can see clearly. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a farmer, whether you are... Um, a writer, a dancer, it's art making. And the goal is not product, but realizing who and what you really are. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the goal. Yeah. We're already perfect. We just need to remove the debris. That's right. This has been so amazing. I just want to thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. You're such a, an incredible, incredible soul. And I'm so grateful that I got to talk to you today. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks so much to Alonzo for sharing his amazing insights and wisdom. For more on the Lines Ballet Company, go to linesballet.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, can you take a minute to rate and review it? And if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to download Meditation Studio in the App Store. We'll see you next time.